traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. In a moment we'll hear Rod Sailing say that the main character in tonight's episode chooses a particular time of day as his own personal Gotterdammerung. Now this is a German word but its origins lie in Norse mythology because Gotterdammerung is a translation of the word Ragnarok, the downfall of the gods. The German composer Wagner used it as the title of the last of four musical dramas titled in English as The Ring of the Nebulung, which is an epic story of warring gods, a ring of power and high drama. So this all sounds very grand, but how can it connect to that extremely short story that we heard on the last episode? And how does it connect to this strange little man with a parrot in his apartment making accusatory phone calls? Oh, a rather full morning's work, wouldn't you say, Pete? Eleven names. Eleven names. Of course, it's questionable at best as to what concrete results we can expect, but at least the seeds have been planted, the opening guns fired, the first attack rendered. Look at them, look at them out there, the dregs carrying leeches, sucking us dry, carrying evil around with them like cold germs. Well, we're going to have to face it sooner or later, Pete. Phone calls are one thing, threats and exposures, simply expedients. Oh no, Pete, my old friend, we're going to have to embark on a much more ambitious course. And it must be today, Pete, it must be this afternoon. Four o'clock, Pete. As originally scripted, the opening narration was longer, and it went like this. This is Oliver Crangle, a dealer in petulance and poison, a self-appointed, self-designated, self-ordained vigilante, whose jaundiced eyes peer out at an unholy world, undeserving of anything but judgment and punishment. And Mr. Oliver Crangle, by his lights, is both the judge and the executioner. He's rather arbitrarily chosen four o'clock as his personal Gotterdammerung, and we are about to watch the metamorphosis of a twisted little gnome of a man, poisoned by the gangrene of prejudice, to the status of an avenging angel, upright and omniscient, dedicated and fearsome. Whatever your clock say, it's four o'clock, and wherever you are, it happens to be the Twilight Zone. So who is this man and why is he doing these things? Let's find out when we wait for the alarm at four o'clock. That's Oliver Crangle, a dealer in petulance and poison. He's rather arbitrarily chosen four o'clock as his personal Gotterdammerung. And we are about to watch the metamorphosis of a twisted fanatic, poisoned by the gangrene of prejudice, to the status of an avenging angel, 
upright and omniscient, dedicated and fearsome. Whatever your clocks say, it's four o'clock. And wherever you are, it happens to be the Twilight Zone. First broadcast on the 6th of April 1962, written by Rod Serling but based on a short story by Price Day and directed by Twilight's own favourite, Lamont Johnson. A good strong opener narration this time by Rod Serling, I think. The metamorphosis of a twisted fanatic poisoned by the gangrene of prejudice into an avenging angel, and so on. A hero in his own mind, so to speak, and we'll come back to that theme later on. But you also have to love the look Sailing gives to the parrot as well. Now, there's not a huge amount of information out there about the writer Price Day, who originally did that short story, but Steve Rubin in the Twilight Zone Encyclopedia does have a short entry on him, and he says that he was born in 1907 and was an American writer, a native of Plainview, Texas and he had previously co-written the original story that Richard Maybaum and Gertrude Purcell adapted into the feature film The Lady and the Mob, and that film starred Twilight's own legend, Ida Lupino. But the story itself, Four O'Clock, was originally featured in a spin-off book for a different anthology show, and that show was Alfred Hitchcock Presents. The story wasn't actually adapted for Alfred Hitchcock Presents and made into an episode of that show, but it was featured in one of the books that capitalised on its success that Alfred Hitchcock put his name to but didn't actually have any involvement in. And the book was called Alfred Hitchcock Presents My Favourites in Suspense. And Martin Grams Jr. in Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic writes, that it got into Rod Sailing's hands when he was sent a couple of these Hitchcock books from Random House as samples because they wanted to do the same thing with the Twilight Zone. Yes, what is it? The special delivery stuff for you, Mr. Crangle. Well, bring it in. The door's not locked. Something else, was there, Mrs. William? Something else? No, nothing else. Nothing else, Mr. Crangle. You sure get enough mail. Anyway, somebody think you was running some sort of a mail order business or something. What I do, Mrs. Williams, is none of your concern. So as we know, the original short story features only Oliver Crangle and his parrot. But in this version, Rod Sailing adds more characters to both fill out the running time. And so the episode has people for Crangle to bounce off. And the first character that we meet is Mrs. Williams, who we've just heard, who is Crangle's landlady, and she's played by Moina McGill, who was an Irish actor. And she had a career that spanned about 40 years, with a modest 35 credits to her name. But if she does look a little familiar, it might be due to her famous daughter, who is Angela Lansbury, who is of course the star of the long-running show Murder, She Wrote and an actor who featured in Murder, She Wrote on four separate occasions, playing different characters, is Theodore Bakel, who plays Oliver Crangle. Mrs. McGill suggests here that it's almost as if Oliver Crangle is operating a mail-order business or something, and we also notice that his apartment is filled with books, files, and a typewriter. 
Now later on, Krangle says that part of his campaign against evil people is the sending of letters, hence the typewriter. And I can't say this for certain because I haven't found it documented, but with Mrs. McGill saying that it's as if he's running a mail order business, I do wonder if there is a suggestion here that Krangle is producing some sort of literature or publication that he's mailing out. And the reason I say that is when we get into the backstory of what Rod Serling was going for here, publications and published lists of names very much play a part. So the next character that we meet is named Mrs. Lucas, and her husband works at a hospital and has been the victim of one of Krangle's campaigns. Why, Mr. Krangle, why are you trying to hurt him? What has he ever done to you? To me? Why, nothing to me. There is nothing personally. Well, I don't know your husband, Mrs. Lucas. I know of him, I know of his background, but we've never met. He's a stranger then to you, isn't he? He's a perfect stranger? A stranger, yes. But not a perfect stranger. As a matter of fact, your husband, Mrs. Lucas, happens to be most imperfect. And when you observe that he has done nothing to me, let me hasten to illuminate you on this. He has done a lot against society. My husband, for your information, Mr. Krangle, is a dedicated young doctor. He has only one abiding interest in life, and that is to heal. To stop pain. And to kill! Lucas Kurt J. M.D., second year intern, Eastside Hospital. These facts came to my attention. On the night of March 12, 1961, while serving in the emergency ward, he permitted the death of one Mrs. Angela Rienti by failing to relieve pressure accumulated as a result of a brain injury sustained in a traffic accident. It's here where I feel the episode is maybe faltering a little in what it's trying to do, and I will elaborate more on that as we go along. But Krangle earlier on spoke about targeting communists and subversives, but here he's talking about a medical doctor who didn't save a patient in time. Now obviously Krangle will target anyone he wants, anyone his twisted mind thinks he should, and he will justify that however he wants to, but this is who he says he's targeting in the episode. I will not put up with evil in any form. Communists, subversives, thieves, harlots, evil, all of them. So if Serling is trying to get a message home here, I feel that maybe we need to know a bit more definitively where Krangle is directing his campaign. The targeting of the Doctor, on the one hand, does deliver a message that Krangle will target whoever he chooses and will justify it however he wants. The point is that none of the people that Krangle targets deserve what they're getting, and maybe that's what Serling was getting at, but by casting the net in such a broad fashion, I think it robs the episode somewhat of a definite point. So while we mull that over, let's meet the man behind Oliver Krangle, the actor Theodore Bekel. Bekel was born in 1924 in Austria into a Jewish family, and in 1938, after the union of Austria and Germany, the family fled to what was then known as Mandatory Palestine, and his father's connections helped them to get British passports. In 1945, he moved to England, where he studied at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. And then in 1954, he moved to the US, where he became a citizen in 1961. 
This is his only Twilight Zone appearance, apart from a reading that he did years later of The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street for an audio tape collection. Now if you go back to episode number 99 in the archives, titled The Forgotten Twilight Zone, you can hear a bit more about that. But he was certainly one of the hard-working actors of the day, and he was very well regarded as an actor, and had a knack for bringing depth to even the most thinly written of characters. And while he did have parts in classic films like The African Queen, he would happily take pretty much any job that came his way. So you'll see his name on the kind of easy-watching television fare like Dynasty, The Fall Guy and Knight Rider as well. And in his personal life, he was also an activist in the civil and human rights movements, and he co-founded the Actors' Federal Credit Union in 1962, and was president of Actors' Equity from 1977 to 1982. As well as all this, he was also a singer and songwriter in the folk arena. So being that he was quite the activist, he was no stranger to the protest style of song himself. And legend has it that on one occasion, Bob Dylan was performing at a festival with the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. And Theodore Bakel's friend and fellow folk singer Pete Seeger wanted to cut the electrical cables to the stage because the audio quality was so bad. And Seeger expected Bakel to support him. And he said, Theo, for Christ's sake, tell them, set them straight. And Bakel stepped forward and told Seeger, Peter, this band, these rebels, they are us. They are what we were 20 years ago. Remember? But before we move on from his musical career, being that I am from Liverpool, I thought I would share with you something that a friend of the show, Al, made me aware of. Where Bakel lends his voice to a Beatles song. Have you seen the little piggies crawling in the dirt? And for all the little piggies, life is getting worse. Always having dirt to play around. You've seen the bigger piggies in their starched white shirts. You will find the bigger piggies stirring up the dirt. Always have clean shirts to play around in. Martin Grams Jr. in Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic has quite a long quote from Bacal, and he says, As you might rightly assume, my portrayal of Oliver Crangle stayed in my memory much longer than the many parts I've played on TV and elsewhere. It was a superbly written episode, and a wonderful character to get my teeth into. Krangle was, of course, politically the very opposite of where my own convictions lie, then and now. To portray a right-wing nut gave me great pleasure. You may be interested in an incident that occurred later, 
not just because of my involvement, but because of Rod Serling's reaction. He made reference to his own origins while taking a public stand as a citizen and a human being of conscience. Some time after the episode aired, Rod Serling had an opportunity to defend me against an actual right-wing verbal assault made on a television talk show in which two veteran actors with very reactionary views, Adolf Menjo and Corrine Griffiths, attacked me. They did so not for the views I espoused, that would have been alright, by any civil libertarian standards, but they challenged my right to voice them at all, on the grounds that I was a foreigner. Not just foreign-born, mind you, but a foreigner who had no right to open his mouth at all. I do not recall whether at that point I was already a citizen or not, but that should have made no difference. Even resident aliens legally admitted to the United States are entitled to all the rights and privileges, except for the vote. A few days later on the same program, Rod Serling said the following, in part, On this program an actor of considerable stature appeared by invitation. Apart from his talents, which are considerable, his reputation as a gentleman and a human being is probably the most unsullied and exemplary of any man in this profession. He was subjected to a vicious and predatory attack by Miss Corrine Griffiths because of the fact that he was of foreign birth. To Miss Griffiths and to anyone else who thinks that honour and patriotism can only be equated with those whose roots go deep into the third deck planking of the Mayflower, go over the roll call of the Congressional Medal of Honour winners. They read like a checklist from Ellis Island. A democracy works because its basic tenet is simply the recognition of the dignity of its citizens. The kind of dignity that permits the son of Lithuanian immigrants to say, judge a man. Miss Griffiths, as a man, judge a human being by his works. Judge a human being by his compassion and his sincerity. Judge all of us not by our geography, but by our humanity. If I take anything from this, it's that I do enjoy Theodore Bakel's performance. All of the little ticks, the staring off into space, and all of these little things he brings to it. So that is very enjoyable, but I do wonder whether it serves the purpose of the story, which I'll get to in a moment. Tell me, Mr. Krangle, why? Why do you do it? Why? Why? You ask me why? Why? Because they're evil. That's it. There's nothing complicated about that. They're evil. All those little bugs out there. Bacteria. That's what they are. That's what your husband is. Bacteria. Those little... <laughs> That's it. That's precisely it. That's what I'll do. <laughs> I knew I would get the clue. I said, little people. Do you understand? Little people. Oh, I'll turn all the evil people into little ones. 
So to Oliver Krangle, this is all very simple. It's because the people he targets are evil. No discussion, no debate, you're either with them or you're against them. There is no in-between. And now he has his plan. He's going to turn all of the evil people into little people. There's an interesting moment here where Krangle looks at the Gettysburg Address, which is framed on his wall. It is rather for us to be dedicated to the great task remaining before us. All men are created equal. So he underlines, it is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us. But then he crosses out that all men are created equal. So while sailing is using a very important piece of American history to illustrate a point here, I think the message is much broader than that. It seems to me that sailing is commenting on how people will be very selective at times with their belief systems, whether that's political, religious or anything else. They will shout loudly about one aspect of it while brushing another part of it under the carpet. Or in Krangle's case, crossing it out because it's inconvenient. How can I carry on doing this thing, this prejudicial act, when the very thing I'm basing my ideology on says that it's wrong to do it? So I'll just cross this part out that I don't like or spin it in such a way as to allow me to still act in whatever way I want. So there is one other visitor to Krangle's apartment and we won't go into that too much. It's basically an FBI man called Hall who comes along for a meeting that really just drives home how insane Oliver Krangle is. And after he leaves, it's finally time for the clock to strike four. It's happening, Pete. It's happening right now. Everyone, all the evil ones, they're all turning into tiny little gnomes. So in the end, Oliver's prediction came true. He said that evil people were gonna shrink and that's what happened to him. He is the evil person. Now in the Twilight Zone radio version, the ending is slightly different, so Spoiler warning if you haven't heard it, but in this version, Pete the Parrot gets a little more involved. Pete! What's happened? You've grown so large, and I, I'm so close to the floor. These shoes don't fit me anymore, and these clothes, huh, whose are they? Must get out of this ridiculous costume. Eh, eh, eh. Pete, why are you looking at me like that? Your eyes and your beak. Close it. Please close it. You're not still hungry. You can't be. Eh? Pete, you're frightening me. You know me, Petey boy. You must. That's a good bird. Yes, yes. Calm down now. No, Pete, no. Get away. Let me get out of here. I can't reach the door now. The locks. Let me out. No. No. Oh. 
I wouldn't put 4 o'clock particularly high on my Twilight Zone appreciation list, but if nothing else, like I said, I do enjoy Theodore Bakel's performance. It's a one-location episode, and Bakel is on screen throughout it, and I do think he does a good job of filling the screen with that performance. So at the very least, even if the story isn't particularly engaging, he is good to watch. I also like the surroundings that they've put him in. The short story suggested very little, but the episode has him in this very organized combination of an apartment and an office. He has files on the people he wants to target, how he gets them, and how he actually supports himself, I suppose is not for the episode to say. Now initially in the Twilight Zone Companion, Mark Zickery wrote a very short, pretty negative review of the episode. But one of the good things about the updated Twilight Zone Companion, the third edition, is that it seems that Mark Zickery with time has reconsidered episodes, or at least some aspect of them. And his edition on this occasion gives us a clue as to what Sailing was actually basing this episode on. So Zickery writes, Rod Sailing came to prominence in the 50s during the height of the Hollywood blacklist and the Red Scare. Many writers, actors and directors he knew were blacklisted for their politics, but Rod was never put at similar risk. The reason for this is that although outspokenly liberal, Sailing was vehemently anti-totalitarian, whether that belief system be fascist or communist. Sailing at core was pro-individual and anti-conformity, particularly the conformity of the state. This is best exemplified in such episodes as Eye of the Beholder and The Obsolete Man. In Four O'Clock, he singles out the self-appointed watchdogs who decide who should and should not be targeted as pariahs. In this, Sailing was pointedly commenting on such powerful and dangerous individuals as those who had published Red Channels, a vicious and unsubstantiated rag that destroyed any number of talented Hollywood artists. So Red Channels was published in 1950, and it's this that makes me wonder whether this was the mail order business that the landlady was suggesting earlier on. So just to get the gist of what it was about, Wikipedia documents the introduction to the Red Channels pamphlet. And it says, the introduction to Red Channels running just over six pages was written by Vincent Hartnett. Hartnett would later found the anti-communist organization AWARE. The 213 page tract released three years after the House Un-American Activities Committee began investigating purported communist party influence in the entertainment field, claims to expose the spread by means of advocacy of civil rights, academic freedom, and nuclear weapons control of that influence in radio and television entertainment. Referring to current television programming, the Red Channel's introduction declares that several commercially sponsored dramatic series are used as sounding boards, particularly with reference to current issues in which the party is critically interested academic freedom, civil rights, peace, the H-bomb, etc., with radios in most American homes, and with the approximately 5 million TV sets in use, 
the Common Form and the Communist Party USA now rely more on radio and TV than on the press and motion pictures as belts to transmit pro-Sovietism to the American public. And it goes on to say that the introduction to red channels described how the Communist Party attracts both financial and political backing from those in the entertainment industry. And it says, no cause which seems calculated to arouse support among people in show business is ignored. The overthrow of Frankist Spain, the fight against anti-Semitism and Jim Crow, civil rights, world peace, the outlawing of the H-bomb are all used. Around such pretended objectives, the hardcore of party organizers gather a swarm of reliables and well-intentioned liberals to exploit their names and their energies. So all of this is interesting stuff and certainly Rod Serling's bread and butter, but does the episode really capitalize on it? I think ultimately it falls down on two major points for me. First of all, the short story that it was based on, even by short story standards, is pretty short. And having just read it and then seen the episode, it does feel like there's a lot of filler in here and I do, and I do find it to be a little dull at times. It's just a succession of people who weren't in the original story coming in to pad out the running time. And none of these characters really feel like they have much substance to them, they're just here to give Krangle something to bounce off. But they were never really part of the story originally because the real story was in Krangle's head. But I guess pulling off a 25 minute episode with just Krangle on his own wouldn't be impossible but it would be very difficult so I understand why these people have been added in. My second issue is that Sailing specifically says that this episode is about prejudice in the opening narration. But prejudice against who? As Mark Zickry mentions, it's likely that Sailing is commenting on the blacklisting of actors who were labelled as communist, and that's fine. And maybe it was just a sign of the times that he couldn't be as explicit about that as he wanted to be. Although Krangle certainly does talk about communist and the Reds a few times throughout, but, but he doesn't just talk about them. So the ruinous accusation aspect of that time are certainly there, but to say it's about prejudice but leave the target of that prejudice to be so open-ended leaves the episode quite unfocused and something that muddies the waters even further is Krangle's insanity. He is clearly insane. I think the intervening years have perhaps unexpectedly and quite accidentally given us a point of comparison with Krangle. Sadly, we have seen several instances of the lone style of terrorist, people who commit a terrorist act in the name of whatever cause they have aligned themselves with. Even Krangle, in his opening speech to his parrot, says that soon the words and threats will not be enough. He needs to destroy evil. And when the authorities search the homes of these people after the act, you find that there is all of the paraphernalia of whoever they are aligned with and all of the planning that has gone into what they've done. Now, sometimes the media will report that one of these people has a history of mental illness of some kind, and that does become quite controversial 
because some people then believe that it's taken away from what the focus is really about, that basically this person was committing the act because of hate rather than being ill. So that's a conversation within itself, but to circle it back to Krangle and point out why it is relevant, when we try to balance up this hateful intent by Krangle with his mental state, the most obvious and glaring thing about him is that he's completely insane. So it's fine for Serling to be saying that he felt that the targeting of certain actors or the McCarthy era in general was wrong, but it diminishes the message somewhat when the vessel he uses, Oliver Krangle, is just completely mad. Now the short story works within itself because it was quite simply a person who was preoccupied with evil. But with Sailing emphasising the political aspect on the one hand, but then having Krangle be so insane on the other, it's easy to say, well, he's just a madman and whatever he says doesn't matter because he's crazy. Whereas if Krangle wasn't crazy and was just a cold and calculated person, that would probably deliver the message better that prejudice is a decision. But then, if Sailing has presented him as completely sane, then he wouldn't be trying to turn all of the evil people small at four o'clock. So it just seems to be a no-win situation, or maybe this story wasn't the best fit for this particular political message. And because the focus of the prejudice is so scattershot, we never really get that point either. It's interesting that one of the debates with the new Twilight Zone show is whether it should be so explicit in what it's trying to say, because the old Twilight Zone could deliver its message in such a simple and fable-like way. But I think here we have an episode where Sailing really struggled to do that. It may have been about the labelling of people in the entertainment industry as communists, but it feels like he can't really get that point home, and he can't really get it to fit. Maybe it is still too early to get that kind of thing on television, and when you know what he was trying to say with it, you can see that the intent is there, but it just doesn't quite fit together. And without the background knowledge of what it's about, I'm not sure the episode really gets home what Sailing wanted it to say. But saying that, if we do strip it back, I do think that the fundamental point of the short story and this episode is that there are always people who set themselves up as the good ones, the righteous ones, and claim that there is evil in others but then will either act in hateful ways or commit terrible acts. So if and when that judgement comes down from the Twilight Zone or wherever else, the truth of the matter is that it's they who are the evil ones. So it's a good message, but sadly, like Oliver Krangle, the execution falls a little short. But you know what? It was sailing still pushing, still pushing to get a message across. He was still at a time when he had to try and hide these messages in plain sight. And this episode shows that it wasn't always easy to do. But he still kept pushing and he paved the way for future creators to have those freedoms to do what he himself wasn't able to. At four o'clock an evil man made his bed and lay in it. A pot called a kettle black, a stone thrower broke the windows of his glass house 
You look for this one under F for fanatic and J for justice in the Twilight Zone. So there you go, that is four o'clock. And it's good to get back to the old show when uh, Twilight Zone wasn't so political. Okay, so let's get into some listener feedback in Submitted for your approval. Okay, friend of the show Edwin wrote in and he says, As you know, I'm late to the party and I'm rehashing a topic that I'd imagine you've gotten countless emails about since the airing of the episode on one of my all-time favourites, The Howling Man. However, I'd like to comment on one of the issues you pointed out that people mostly brought up when discussing the episode. That being, why wasn't there a lock used to entrap the devil along with the Staff of Truth? I think it's important to keep in mind the subject matter of the devil, which can also be known as evil. One of the most asked questions when discussing evil as a rebuttal for the existence of God is why then does evil exist? Why must innocent people suffer? The question is most commonly answered with free will being the reason. I'll quote one of the more Christian apologists, C.S. Lewis, if a thing is free to be good, it is also free to be bad, and free will is what made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. I'd argue then that a lock that forbids one from opening the door for the devil wouldn't do here. One can't be physically prevented from embracing evil, it has to be something that comes from the knowledge and pursuance of good. As always, Tom, thank you for your dedicated work, and thank you for your time. Loyal friend of the show, Edwin. Thank you, Edwin. It's a great thought. Thank you for writing it in, and, and I'm always happy for, you know, if someone is just catching up to the show, if someone is new, if you have a point about something we've already covered in the past, by all means, send me something in. So thank you for that, Edwin. Okay, I've had an mp3 clip from longtime friend of the show Travis about four o'clock and this is what he's got to say. Hey Tom, this is Travis. I just wanted to drop off some hopefully quick remarks about the episode I just watched or rewatched. Uh, four o'clock, or maybe it should be called four o'clock. I'm only half kidding. Uh, I think the, the biggest problem with this episode is that at the end Rod Serling mentioned something about you know, oh, you can find this under J for justice in the Twilight Zone. And I'm like, man, was justice served? I, I, can't, I can't feel like this dude was just sort of spineless, toothless. Uh, I felt sorry for him. He was just an insane person. You know, I want to know, you know, what's going on in, with his brain chemistry? How did society fail this dude where all he does is write letters and make phone calls and talk crap all day about just these vague ideas of murderers and thieves and evildoers, you know, and at the end, he, he, well, he's got this insane plan to shrink people through the power of his mind, and he wants to turn the, 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 the tires on a bus into triangles so evil people can't ride public transportation. Like, this is an insane person. And at the end, he essentially, if we take it literally, and I don't even know what the implication are, or is if he 
if it this story isn't literal but he he shrinks himself and uh he he essentially destroys himself at the end and i'm supposed to be like yeah justice served like ha ha you crazy you crazy mf -er, that's what you get you know i don't i don't know i know i probably i probably sound like a crazy person but you know maybe if this episode had more teeth you know maybe if if, if, if his anger was more focused you know if maybe instead of these these vague evildoers if he was like man these damn italians out there or, or women shouldn't be able to vote you know maybe maybe if he was like that kind of hateful person then you could look at the episode could serve as, as a social commentary you could look at hateful people in your real life and you could be like man that's what you sound like you sound like a crazy person who wants to shrink people with his mind but as it is now man i just feel sorry i kind of feel sorry for the dude you know i know he they, there's a thing where he made that woman's husband. Oh, my husband feels bad because you're writing letters. You know, I'm like, well, I mean, I mean, I guess he's feeling bad, but it's not like it's not like he's really being effective. Like, dude, you're you're writing these letters and you're getting people thrown in jail and they're getting executed in the streets. It's like, oh, you made my husband feel sad. So you deserve you mentally ill person deserve to be shrunk. I don't know, man. There's no compassion in this episode. I don't know what I'm supposed to feel. Rod, what were you thinking? Thank you for that, Travis. You know, I, I think we're kind of in a similar place whereby whereby the target was ill-defined, so it was really hard to kind of get on board with what the point of it was. In the end, it, it just was an insane guy, so it kind of took away from any actual point to it. So I think we're on the same page there. Thanks for Thanks for sending the clip in and this is great, you know, I think with the, the listener feedback show for the new Twilight Zone and something that I'm doing on Patreon where people send in clips, people are sending more in and I love that. It's better than hearing me drone on for longer anyway. So thanks for that, Travis. And now I've got another clip from another friend of the show, Eric. So let's hear what he's got to say. Hello, Tom. Eric from Connecticut here to say hello and thank you for an excellent podcast. I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan. I've seen every episode so many times I can't even count, but I always end up coming back to it. And most recently, it was from finding out Netflix carried the original series. I started watching them and search for podcasts about the show. And as you know, there are quite a few and there are many that are good, but it's yours that I really connected to. I'm a longtime FM rock DJ here in Connecticut. I recently stepped aside from the business after doing it since the early 90s. I'd done it full-time for years and got a full-time 9-to-5 job to pay the bills, but still did the radio thing on the weekends. But over the last few years, I really became a huge fan of podcasting. So I've stepped aside from FM radio and got into the podcasting thing. And the, uh, the energy and the spirit and the enthusiasm that comes from the really good podcasts reminds me of the days I first got into radio when creating entertaining and informative content was all that mattered to myself and my friends in the business. And your podcast is a great example of that. So thank you again for doing such an amazing job. I'm pretty much caught up to your reviews of the classic series and looking forward to the next and really enjoying your reviews of the new Jordan Peele series as well. Anyway, I just started up my own podcast focused on classic rock called Discovery, where I get into the stories and the trivia behind the artists and the songs and a recent episode was all about artists who have sung about or mentioned the Twilight Zone in a song. And surprisingly, I came up with a long list, close to 40. Of course, Golden Earring being the most famous, but there are many, many more. I also included the song by Skinny Puppies, found out from 
your review, I believe it was the review of the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street episode. By the way, the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street may be my favorite episode of them all. Just barely ahead of Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, I have a big connection with the Shatner episode since it was the first I can remember seeing as a kid, but Monsters Are Due on Maple Street is just perfect. Great acting, great story, and a timeless storyline that deals with our innate fears and how easily man can turn on each other, if not careful in times of crisis. Anyway, not that you need the free plug, but I did tip my listeners to your show in that episode. I think your listeners will enjoy it, hopefully. You can find it on Spreaker, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, other platforms. It's called Discovery with Eric Sennett. You can find it. Uh, I have a Facebook page as well. Facebook.com slash the Discovery Podcast Home. So thanks, Tom, and look forward to meeting up with you once more in the Twilight Zone. Eric, it's good to hear from you, man. Always good to make a new friend. And thank you for mentioning uh, this podcast on your show. I haven't listened to it yet because I just got your email like last night just before recording this so i will um i will definitely be checking that out i'm a classic rock fan anyway so so that'll be great and i will put a link to that in the show notes for this if anyone wants to check out that episode too so thanks for writing in man okay i've got one more thing to read one more letter and that came to me in a most unusual way now there is a twilight zone podcast reddit to be honest I'm not really that active on it. There's just not enough hours in the day, to be honest. But uh, some, there's also just a general Twilight Zone Reddit. And someone put on it just a, a username, so I, I'm not sure the name of the person. Open letter to Tom Elliott. Please resume covering the original TZ series on your podcast. And, you know, I have got a bit of negativity about this. Some people have been quite rude about it, um, the fact that I've moved over to the new show. I'm not sure whether people seem to think that it was a permanent thing. I'm not sure how it could be a permanent thing with only 10 episodes of the new series. Um, but this person wrote it, you know, in a, in a very well-mannered way. And I'm happy to entertain anyone who presents themselves in such a way. And they said, Not having or inclined to get CBS All Access, I've not seen any of the 29 episodes of the Twilight Zone reboot. I'm a Star Trek fan too, but for related reasons, have not seen the new series. The big difference for me is that while I don't care for any Trek podcasts, I apparently join a decent-sized contingent insofar as I rather enjoy Tom Elliott's award-winning The Twilight Zone podcast, or to be clear, used to until he shifted focus from the original series and other related fascinating content such as interviews with Sailing, to the 2019 reboot. I make this post to gauge the extent to which the TZ community here shares my regard for his podcast and wish that he, at least in part, returned to focus on the original series. As evident from years old podcasts in which he would seem skeptical that the reboot would happen, he clearly was dubious that his podcast even would have the chance to cover brand new episodes of a contemporary show. He certainly had no such idea in mind when he started his podcast. I'd hardly fault him for seizing the opportunity to change up from discussing the show, couched in many ways in its longish ago time, to a modern version of it. That said, I basically have lost a podcast I no longer have occasion to enjoy or reason to hear. I wish Tom Elliott would make a new podcast to focus on the new series and reserve the current podcast 
to discuss the original one. That said, I realise he probably lacks the amount of time to double his podcast workload. Like I said, I wrote this post to see how common my thoughts are here. If the current situation works for everyone else, then so be it. If not, any thoughts or suggestions for Tom Elliott are welcome. So first of all, thank you whoever you are for presenting that in a well-mannered way. Like I said, not everyone has, unfortunately. And I'll just paraphrase my response because I think the fact that I've done this episode today shows that I'm still covering the the classic show. But basically what, what I said is, you know, there have been times in the past when, because of my personal life, I haven't even been able to do the Twilight Zone podcast. So there would be months at a time sometimes where I wouldn't put out a show and the listeners were always very um, understanding of that. So I just wanted to offer the reassurance that, you know, you haven't lost the podcast, but for the moment, like when I couldn't do the show all those years ago, very often, you might just need to go without for a few weeks while we cover the new one. And I always had in my mind that at the halfway point, I would do a classic episode for those people who aren't following along with the CBS show. But I didn't really want to say just in case I didn't have the time to do it. But thankfully, I have had the time to do it. And as I also replied, I think this is par for the course with shows that have had a modern incarnation. Shows like Star Trek and Doctor Who, where podcasts have covered the original show. But when the new series comes on, they will jump to the new series and cover that. And then when it's over, they will go back to the original show. And that's exactly what I'm doing here. You know, I I just don't think it's that far out of the remit of the Twilight Zone podcast to cover the new Twilight Zone show while it's on. And like you said, setting up a separate feed for it, I don't think would have made much of a difference because there would be still nothing coming out on this feed anyway. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, a lot of new listeners have come on board because of the new show and hopefully they will then stay to listen to the old show. So it's not a permanent change, mainly because there's only 10 episodes of the new show coming out. But again, I I thank you for your thoughts and I thank you for the way that you presented them. Not Not everyone has been so gracious. And that's quite sad because it means that at one point they have enjoyed the show. But because of this, then then all of a sudden they've kind of had an about turn and not responded with the goodwill that I put into the show. Because what I, I think people who act in that way need to remember is that this is my hobby. This is not something I get paid for. I don't put advertisements on the show to earn money, but thankfully I have a few dedicated patrons who pay the hosting costs and so on. But it is my hobby and... It takes up a lot of my spare time that I I don't now have to do other things. And that's my choice, you know, that's my choice to do that. But as well as pleasing my audience, I need to kind of please myself as well. It needs to be something that I'm constantly interested in doing. And I was interested and I am interested in covering the new show. And a lot of the audience are interested in it as well, as evidenced by... The fact that, you know, the download numbers have gone through the roof and a lot of old friends of the show have been chiming in on the listener feedback show as well. So once again, thank you for presenting that in such a a pleasant way. If there was ever any doubt, I thought I was quite clear that this was only going to be a temporary thing and then we would be going back to business as usual. 
but I think this this is the way it's going to work from now on. If there is a second season of the new Twilight Zone next year, then I will do the same thing. I will jump over to it, but I'll always come back. I'm going to finish the main Twilight Zone podcast without a doubt. So I hope that settled things for you anyway. Thanks for writing that letter. Okay, before we go, I just want to say thank you to new Patreon supporters, new executive producers, and as you know, they keep an episode of the Twilight Zone podcast on air. So I want to thank Wes Darling, who made a very generous donation uh, over on Patreon, and your episode is Person or Persons Unknown, so thank you for that. I want to thank Tracy Woodward. Now, your episode is The Comedian. You're the first person to sponsor an episode of the new Twilight Zone, so I hope you like it, and thank you for coming on board. Brian Turner, your episode is Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, and I thank you for that as well, I I hope you enjoy that one. And then, not a Patreon supporter, but someone in the UK who who sent me a a really nice card and donation, and it was a handmade Rod Serling print on a card, really beautiful work, and I was really quite touched to get that so thank you you and i really appreciate it that was really kind of you Uh, and thank you as well for the itunes review and i can't remember whether i thanked the uk contingent last time but thanks to steve noble john mel and ewan from the uk for your itunes reviews and over in the us fisher knight of the meek barney copter jake nuka who is tracy deneen and bob from evanston illinois thank you so much for your kind iTunes reviews, I really appreciate it. Okay, so if you have been waiting patiently for the classic show to return, I hope this has tired you over for the meantime, and we will get back to it. There's five episodes left of the new series, and then we'll be straight back in to the old series. So let's go over to Rod Serling to see what that show is going to be when we come back. And now, Mr. Serling. As it happens to all men, a newcomer takes his first step into the Twilight Zone next week when Mr. Andy Devine joins us for a show called Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. He plays the role of the storekeeper of the Cracker Barrel variety who stretches the truth like most people pull on taffy. This one is for laughs and for the congenital liars amongst you. Next week, Mr. Andy Devine, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. For help. When you help, we can help. <laughs> 